Welcome to a Fresh Perspective podcast, catering to the latest in ingredient trends, consumer insights, and food news. Brought to you by Corbion. Hello, and welcome to a Fresh Perspective podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything food. Uh, today, I am joined by Jennifer Halliburton from Corbion, and we've got Luann Williams also on the line. Uh, she's a Global Insights Director for Innova. Um, welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny. We are going to talk about building brand loyalty today. And this is a really, it's an interesting topic right now. And not just because of the pandemic, right? We've got um, uh, some other factors that are that are playing into this, including inflation. So, you know, everyone, this is the, the watchword right now. Everybody's talking about inflation. It's higher than it's been in 40 years. Do you think consumers are looking to, you know, switch brands based on price right now? Like, what do you, what, what's your take on the, the brand loyalty there? Luann. So I will tell you this morning in the news, I was watching um, a hairdresser being interviewed. Hairdressers are fantastic people to get insights from because they're <laughs> talking to so many people. And she said, mm-hmm. nonstop, it's all about inflation, price increases, definitely top of mind for consumers. So it depends upon the consumer. And I think I think if we go back to the 2008-2009 recession, we saw the hourglass model really developed that there was a lot happening at the top and the bottom and the brands in the middle were really being squeezed. So I think we're going to see a lot more of this as well, because we do see in the data that there is a lot of interest, again, coming from COVID. Food was our only entertainment for two years, right? So people were looking for <laughs> new experiences new things to try. So that's really going to drive that top end of the market. But now we have, you know, coming out of that, we have the supply chain issues. And now we have a war, we have lots of other things. And there are definitely some ingredients and, and wheat and oils and different things are going to be happening in Ukraine and, and Russia, which could, ha- which could have a big impact on, on bakery, for example. So yeah, so there's definitely going to be people um, looking for things that cost less. We also see it in the data that people are shopping more at dollar stores. Mm. So I think we're just going to see this maybe an amplified hourglass. So Luann, you mentioned like the squeeze of mainstream. Do you think that consumers will switch from premium brands to mainstream? Or do you think premium will continue to grow as we've seen and mainstream brands may switch more to the consumers may switch more to a value brand? Well, I think, and again, I I can just hear myself going back to 2008, 2009. It's about trading down all over, right? And I think what's different this time is that we had two years of COVID because what you did see before is that people that were eating out were now eating better food at home. And then people who maybe couldn't afford, who were eating at home are now trading. So everybody was trading down a little bit, right? And now I think a lot of people still haven't gone back to restaurants they're d- doing a lot of other things, but, um, and I think this time is maybe a little bit, it's not exactly the same, you know, history repeats itself. And I think this time we have a bit of a twist because we have inflation is going to be, and supply chain issues are going to be the big game changer here. I know that we have customers calling us talking about pricing, 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 pricing. So <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know that we really know exactly what's going to happen, but I think there's going to be a lot of trading down for sure. Yeah, we're talking a lot about it too. I mean, it's it's just constantly on our on our minds. Uh, you mentioned the hourglass, and I don't know that all of our listeners or watchers would know what that means. Could you give us a little context? Yeah. So again, if we go back into history, you saw that people were either looking for super premium products, and again, I'm going back to the to the last big recession, two thousand eight, nine, ten. 
Mm. Um, and you and you saw it everywhere. Nestle, I remember, even published a picture of it. I think it was in their annual report. It was in an update that they had that you saw that consumers were still interested in premium brands. But then imagine if you went to, you know, if you ate out and you were eating nice food in a restaurant, it's still cheaper to eat at a grocery store, but you could still eat the premium brands probably cheaper than you could eat at a grocery store. And so the, the top grew. And then you saw people that were maybe eating more mainstream brands they had a lot of pressure on them. So they were trading down, right? So so you got this really nice hourglass model of, and it was really the brands in the middle that I'm not saying no one wanted them, but they had a bigger squeeze because they weren't premium and they weren't cheap. So they got just it. really had the squeeze applied. And I think now somebody told me in the past couple of weeks that the price differential between eating at home and eating in a restaurant is higher than it's ever been. So that's also going to make a lot of people eat at home. But then for me, that's probably still an opportunity for more premium products, treating kind of products for, you know, products that bring you a different type of experience and so on. So I still think I will be surprised. Of course, if I had a crystal ball, I would not be on this podcast talking to you. I would be somewhere else, but I still think. <laughs> we would um, still want you to come talk to us, yeah, by the well, way, if you, you had a crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think that there's still going to be room for premium, right? Because we may go back to this as our main food entertainment, right? Is that we can still eat at home, but eat nicer things at home. It would be my guess anyway. What kinds of things do you see in terms of premium foods that are are gaining more traction with consumers? I mean, what kinds of claims? What kinds of, I mean, really, really front of pack claims. What do we see like in the bakery space? I know we see growth in claims that were that are smaller, but they're yep. they're really seeing some large growth. And then we have claims. So in in bread, in the bread space, for instance, we see claims like fiber and, well, the two big ones are really sugar and preservatives, right? Are the two biggest, right? But they're they're not growing as fast as some of these newer claims. So the claims that we see growing faster are really like protein and fiber. So it's added added value to the the label. Um, Do you do you see that in other other categories as well? For sure. It doesn't surprise me at all. And I think the fast growth, if, if you stood at an IFT before before this in the past few years, for example, the people that would walk by and say business has never been better is in these, I would call them exciting kind of growth niches, right? Specialty oils, specialty ingredients, the hero ingredients. Health is definitely back for sure. Huge interest in, well, again, we've just had a two-year masterclass in why you should watch your health, right? <laughs> um, right. Right. And why you should be healthy. So there's massive interest in things like like fiber, like but even things like twelve um, percent of American consumers want to eat gluten free. That's huge, and it has nothing to do with how many people have celiac disease. But I will tell you, having a child now that's been recently diagnosed and put on this four month total restriction diet, we're all eating gluten free when she's at my house. It's just easier, you know. I'm not having yeah. to segregate things, and the products are good. So why not, right? So that's going to drive some of these things, but also mm-hmm. organic, the fiber things. Sugar is the number one thing everyone wants to avoid, but it's difficult in some categories, of course. Sure. So then I would not, again, it's not so much about what you're taking out, but it's the, the the bonus added value things, like you said, like protein, like fiber, that just continue to be top of mind for consumers, for sure. So and when we look across the category, we see... Um, brands that have those types of claims um, be more premium, be priced yep. more premium, and they're growing. They continue yep. to grow. 
So, you know, you talk about that hourglass. We are seeing that definitely in the bakery yeah. space. Yeah. And and I think the other thing for people to remember, and again, it, it's not that all this is so new, right? Because I remember being in, in a Walmart and we were doing store visits, looking at Hispanic bakery and things. And this, and this lady says to me, she goes, I don't know. And I said, what are you looking for? Because she was really reading labels and stuff. And she goes, I know I just have to eat better. And I know my family has to eat better. Consumers are aspirational, right? And if you go to discounters, right. if you go to Audi, go to Little, you see all these all these premium claims, premium ingredients that um, they're there too, right? They're not all accessible and they're not all, you know, we can make jokes about, you know, people talk about whole foods and whole paycheck and the prices and so on. But the same types of, of claims, the same types of some of these hero ingredients, they are also now more and more at the discounters and at lower price points, things like hummus and I'm going to call them like trendy foods. So for sure, there, there's, I'm not, it doesn't surprise me at all that these claims are, are growing very fast because consumers are very aspirational. At Corbion, the word impossible doesn't stop us. It gets us going. As a leading global ingredient supplier, we create sustainable food solutions based on renewable resources and natural processes. We are obsessed with solving impossible challenges for our customers. Let's partner together to find solutions unique to you and preserve what matters most. Corbion, keep creating. I also think, you know, just from personal experience, first of all, it's hilarious when you say, you know, when your child is there that you all eat gluten-free because it's just easier. My yeah. friends and I have this discussion all the time, right? Like, do you make kid-friendly food that you know they'll eat and then you have chicken nuggets for dinner? Or <laughs> do you, you, do you know what I mean? Like, or yeah, do you cook course. something and you like, hey, eat it or be hungry, you know, yeah. like, like my parents did. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that because it's literally like, one of the main things we deal with in our lives, I think, as mothers. Yeah. And Jenny, if you think about it, you know, the, to, to Luann's point, you know, the last two years, we've all spent a lot more time eating at home. So that whole yes. forcing forcing the family dynamic around the dinner table, which is a good thing, but it also makes a challenge, right? It's a challenge for consumers who are trying to look for good meal solutions and ideas who are fried from cooking night after night after night, right? Help me, tell me what you want for dinner. I need something new to make, right? Yeah, exactly. And so my second point to that is, you know, going to the store as a consumer, as a big family, not just brand types, I think are changing. And I know we're talking about brand loyalty, so we don't have to spend too long on this, but like the actual types of food that, that I can get my hands on for a relative um, like to remain within my grocery budget has changed. So it used to be that I would pick up sirloin steaks and we'd cook them, we'd slice them and, you know, the kids would eat them over rice and my husband and I would eat them over, make a salad and beef is crazy expensive. And so the last two times I've been to the store, I haven't, I didn't buy them. Literally, that's typically my normal my normal, you know, buy at the grocery store, chicken and steak. And so, you know, I think that so many things have that are, are affected by inflation, right? So then if you take that and you look back at the brand loyalty, it's almost like how many people or what part of the consumer group doesn't even care about brand, right? They're just looking at, can I still kind of make the same things I'm used to making with ingredients that I can find for one, because supply chain is another thing we haven't yet talked about and that I can now afford on my budget. Well, maybe one more point if we talk about another masterclass is that in the food industry, we had been looking at the emergence of all these small brands and, and the decline of big food, right? For years and years, just this long, slow decline. Well, 
that completely reversed during COVID, right? And the big brands could not make enough of their food. Consumers rediscovered them. You know, gee, that chicken noodle soup is really better than I remembered. And that tomato <laughs> soup is better than I remember. Really? So they, there's been this rediscovery. So I think that's maybe, again, hard to know what's going to happen. But I think this will make a lot of consumers rethink what they thought about brand loyalty, right? Especially if you start trying these different things. Well, now if I'm a high fiber consumer or I'm a protein consumer, and I can go to a discounter that has a high protein, high fiber bread that I like, and it's just as good. That can have a huge impact, right? Right. Sure. There's no, and I, even if you, if you have teenagers, you know, kids love to thrift. It's like a treasure hunt. They brag about it. Look at my outfit. It only cost me $10. You know, <laughs> there's no barrier and there's no, there's no social barrier to shopping at Aldi or Little or, you know, discounters and so on. So so I think when you're in this big period where consumers are kind of forced, maybe the common denominator becomes some of those claims that are on the label and the benefits that I'm looking for. And it's all about the benefit and it's less about the brand and who's delivering it as long as it tastes good and I like it. Because that's the other thing that, you know, you kind of roll your eyes at some point. You always hear, well, taste is king. Taste is king. A third of consumers in the U.S. do not want to eat plant-based because it does not deliver on taste and texture. So we can talk about it in the media all day long. But there is a group of consumers who say it does not taste good enough for me, right? So right. if it tastes good enough for me and it delivers on the benefits that I care about, and now more than ever, if the price is there, yeah, I think consumers are going to be very willing to change, but it has to deliver. And that is one yeah. thing that you you do notice the difference between Coke and cola, you know, and it doesn't deliver all the time. So it does <laughs> yeah. have to deliver. So that is the tricky part. So I'm not sitting here saying consumers don't care. They might also trade off. And, and sacrifice a few things to be able to stick to the things that they really care about, right? We'll continue this discussion on the next episode of a Fresh Perspective podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow us on thebakerstake.com and thecorbioncut.com. Until next time, preserve what matters.